Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Basically, we're at a place this week where I can't really get out in one direction from our colony because there are, I don't know, about between one and two feet of water, maybe 20 centimeters of water in the road. And there, the longer that the water stays there, the more messed up the roads get. So the potholes get deeper, silt kind of slides away and gets kind of pushed around garbage gets rearranged into the cracks so it's actually quite dangerous yesterday i was driving and i basically was just trying to go down this road which i know quite well and i was just driving in my little line but there was quite a bit of water maybe about one foot of water and i was on my scooter and i was going very slow very slow and i hit a major pothole which had not been there last week and the road had just kind of eroded under my scooter and just I just almost wiped out and my (laughs) legs went up to my shins in the water I had to stop myself so needless to say um, I'm ready for the monsoon to be done I'm ready for the holiday season which in India is September October November it is coming we've got Navratri coming we've got Diwali coming and then we're in northern in in some parts of uh, Uttar Pradesh in some parts of northern India we have other regional holidays like Chhat Puja many other parts of India there are other festivals going on so it's an exciting time and I'm ready for it to be here and I'm ready for the monsoon to be gone even though the plants on my balcony are blooming like never before the Fresh rainwater makes everything so green, and the air quality is incredible this time of year. We've had AQI under 100 for like months on end. So, with the bad, there is always good, and just being thankful for that. Today is a little bit of a sticky topic. I want to talk about volunteerism. First of all, what is a volunteerist? I picked up a definition from theconversation.com that I thought was really well done. Volunteer tourism or volunteerism is an emerging trend of travel linked to doing good. Yet, these efforts to help people in the environment have come under heavy criticism, and for a good reason. Volunteerists' ability to change systems, alleviate poverty, or provide support for vulnerable children is limited. They simply don't have the skills and they can inadvertently perpetuate patronizing and unhelpful ideas about the places they visit. Amen and amen. I recently read an article in NPR about an American woman who set up a clinic in Uganda to provide free primary health care to malnourished children. Turns out that between 10 and 20% of the kids that she was treating died, and eventually a case was filed against her. Now, 
She's working with malnourished kids. Would many of these kids have died of natural causes anyway? It's hard to say. I don't know. But it seems like she mishandled a lot of these children's medical conditions, and she took a lot of unnecessary risks with their lives in trying to help them. She didn't have the proper training. She had good intentions, but she went off somewhere in a wrong direction. She wasn't quite what we would call a volunteerist because she was there in Uganda long-term, more rooted. At least she had been there for several years. So on one hand, I can see her desire to supplement the local systems to provide some more like preventative care for malnourishment, but she clearly took it too far. Just to share a little bit about our perspective, my perspective, uh, we've been involved in humanitarian work for more than a decade, and and I started with volunteer, or I guess if you even want to call it volunteerist kind of work. I have done the whole let's help build or repair part of an orphanage on a short-term trip or a short-term project. I've done the whole let's go and do an English camp thing. And while those things are interesting and help you to open your eyes to this kind of work, the long-term commitment is where the rubber really meets the road. When you're ready to dive in and really learn, that's when you can really be of best service. And so those kind of experiences were a bit of a a primer for me to try and understand what it's really like to work in a non-Western country or working in a developing economy. I'm even starting to move away from the words developed economy and developing economy because that really only kind of measures the economic development. And I actually think in some ways, some of what we would call developing economies have better developed systems, better social systems, better employment systems in some senses. And I think there's a lot of wisdom that comes from some of these places that we wouldn't call as developed. But uh, nonetheless, just for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to use that terminology until something more politically correct or more descriptive comes along. (laughs) Working in developing economies as someone that did not grow up there, this this is very complicated work and it is getting more and more complicated all the time. And I feel I can say that because I've been involved in short-term projects before I got into the more long-term kind of work, and I've made a lot of mistakes. So for our kind of work here, what we do in India now, we rarely take short-term volunteers or teams for most of our work. The reasons for that is the kind of work we do, it requires a lot of nuanced knowledge and relationship building that take years and can be extremely delicate. We only really take people who are very committed, mature, and have a teachable attitude with intentions to return long term. So let's talk about the intentions. The thing is that most of these volunteerists are coming with good intentions. This woman in Uganda, while she wasn't really a volunteerist, was there longer term. She was there for more than a short stint. But she ended up running a clinic with no medical training. (laughs) I'm sure when she started, she really wanted help. But it's clear that she wasn't willing to do what it took to really invest into local leaders, to bring in experts who knew what they were doing. She was trying to stop the bleeding of a really, really complicated problem by providing a service that maybe no one else was providing. But 
she was sticking a Band-Aid on a really bleeding wound. And really, she probably could have asked for a lot more advice. She could have admitted that she didn't know what she was doing. She really should have demanded a better standard for the people. Maybe she wanted to be a hero. Maybe she wanted to be the white savior. I don't know. But the result was something very dangerous and very ugly. I can actually imagine how she got where she was. She might have been very praised heavily for what she was doing both by the locals and by others in the United States that might have been supporting her work or financially supporting the efforts. And maybe it went to her head. Maybe she didn't see anyone else stepping up. Maybe she just really had a genuine desire to help, um, but kind of got lost in it. She may have seen an extremely low standard of medical care in the local clinics and wanted to do better. Um, But somehow it got a bit twisted up and things turned into a big mess. More common than this, in short-term projects, we see that a lot of people want to come and visit orphanages or give out handouts to poor street kids. This is an extremely transactional type of volunteerism. So that's all I'm going to say about her. I don't personally know her. I do feel very sad for what happened. Um, I'm sure she had good intentions, but clearly things became very complicated. A lot of people suffered as a result of what happened. So moving to short-term volunteerists, I think more common even than people like um, this woman who were were involved in more of a long-term type of work, what's even more dangerous is the short-term projects of people visiting an orphanage or giving out handouts to poor street kids. What are the long-term effects on these kids? How do they see the world after people come and go? Does it help to know that somebody really cares about them and wants to come from a different country even just to spend time with them and help fix up their their bedroom or whatever. I think those are all good things, but if people are coming and handing out iPods and just making more of a transactional type of relationship, this can be very confusing to a child and give a false sense of hope to kids that really should be focusing on their local communities and getting help from people who are willing to focus on solving the actual issues in the community. More than orphanages, maybe we need to figure out how we can better support um, single mothers in communities. Or more than orphanages, maybe we can figure out how to provide better birth control or try to help with uh, family planning efforts or support organizations that are doing that. Again, these are really complicated problems and they're not going to be solved by a quick 10-day trip to South India. You know, these are really complicated (laughs) problems. And I think that's why volunteerism exists is it's like putting a Band-Aid on a very, very complicated, deeply embedded problem. So yeah, it feels good to put a Band-Aid on something and it looks good for a moment. You don't see the gaping wound bleeding anymore, but it's still there. We have to ask these questions, right? Um, How can we maybe move away from the more short-term kind of projects and focus on the long-term issues? So if we are going to engage in volunteerism, how do we do it? If you're going to be involved in short-term type of volunteer projects, which I actually think people should, I think that these are great primers. I think these are great ways that people can get involved and learn about what's going on in the world. And if you really have the intention to learn and to serve and to to see people's lives change long-term, then this might be a good way to engage in that. How do we do that? 
Number one, we all know that the answer is respect the locals, respect the local culture. Okay, but what does that actually look like? We all have different ideas of what this should or could look like. Respecting local people, it might not be such a simple answer, especially if we're coming from a Western country. Cultural appropriation is definitely a risk and something that could take place. Are you using the culture to try and fit in or try to like make yourself feel better or kind of pacified that you're doing something great for these people? Or are you a genuine learner? This is complicated work. No one wants to be dumped on or made a charity case. People want to be treated with dignity. In fact, a lot of studies have shown that people, rather than handout, want work. I can even say that in in our community here, that most people want a job. People don't want a loan. People don't want a handout. They want a job. And so most people don't just want to receive, but they want to be the ones to lift themselves up. And they want to be the ones to work hard and earn for their families. So, however, it is not so easy to get to that point. It is easier just to throw money at something. It is easier just to give a handout and receive a handout than to engage in the cultural understanding process and to find out what the deep needs of a community are and to tackle the problem from the inside out. But this is the hard work that we have to do if we're going to tackle some of these challenging problems. Another point, if you're going to engage in volunteerism, I I highly advise you to find an organization or some kind of project that is locally led, that has local leaders involved. If you have strong local leadership with people who can tell you straight to your face how it is, then you're in a good place. If you're working for a foreign-led organization that does not promote local people to positions of leadership, then you're probably not hitting the actual needs of the community. And having locals who are truly empowered to make decisions is a necessity of good nonprofit volunteer work. I will say it is not easy to find organizations like this. It is even harder to build organizations like this, but it can be done. It's also very tricky. For example, in India, we have a lot of nonprofits in North India that are actually run by South Indians. So to an outsider, it looks Indian run, but actually there are a lot of clannish type behaviors where local North Indians aren't promoted to positions of leadership even though they are the ones who know the local language, who know the local culture and the nuances of the work. So this can be very tricky. And this is where my next point comes in. It is so essential to listen, especially if you're a white person. We need to put our listening ears on first. So let's dig into this a little bit. Did you know that in many places like India, it's actually rude to tell somebody no? Especially if you are on the receiving end of this, if you are a foreigner who has come for a short time. There are all kinds of power dynamics at play. A lot of times when you visit as a short-term volunteer, you bring resources and donations with you, which help run the nonprofit. If the locals offend you, they know that you will report back to the mothership about your experience and the money will get cut off. (laughs) So just understand the power dynamics at play and realize that. Most likely in places like India, people 
will hardly ever tell you exactly what they're thinking to your face. It's more about what you want to hear. And if you really become very good at understanding the nuances, you know that they are telling you what you want to hear and that you need to kind of go at it a different way to actually get the real answer. This requires uh, a lot of listening. It requires a lot of observation. It requires a good relationship where people know that they can trust you, where people know that you're not just there to give them something or that they can get something out of you or that you're trying to get something out of them. It requires looking beyond their immediate motives. I mean, almost no one in the developing world wants to refuse help. And this is why this is so tricky. With the privileges and nuances, especially that are carried by being a white person, we need to be extremely careful. Even a small suggestion that we make with good intentions in ignorance can have really unintended consequences because people don't feel that they have the power or the decision-making clout to say no. So this isn't to make people fearful, but this is just to realize that your primary purpose as a volunteer is to listen. And that's at least for the first year or so. And I do appreciate that there are programs out there which kind of set you up for this. Your first several months is just language learning. It's just listening. It's observing. And then only later on you get to partner with local people. You get to be under the leadership of local people and help in the ways that they want you to. So There are good programs out there, and even for the longer-term programs, sometimes it's your first two years that are literally just keep your mouth shut and learn. And I really appreciate that kind of approach. Next point, and this is a big one. Whenever you go on a volunteer or volunteerist type of trip, is thinking about thinking about local jobs. A big volunteerist trap can be short-term medical trips. If you're going and doing a thousand root canals in Guatemala in a week, wouldn't it be so much better if you showed up with a few easy-to-use tools that didn't require electricity or maintenance and taught maybe one, two, three dentists how to do a root canal in a more effective way? or maybe they weren't doing them before at all, or just showing them a new skill and then walking alongside them and watching them practice until they get a hang of it. This is something that's so much more effective than just going and doing it yourself. Training locals to do the work in a new and innovative way. One thing you need to ask yourself with any kind of volunteer thing you're doing, are you putting a local person out of a job? When you go and do a medical volunteer or volunteer trip, you're literally putting the local doctors out of work because who would want to go and pay, even if it's not a high fee, who would want to go pay to have a tooth extracted when you can go and get a free root canal and keep your tooth when the foreign doctor's coming into town? We need to think about the local jobs, first and foremost. Anytime you do something, think about, is this something a local person can do? Is this something I can teach a local person to do? Is this something that a local person even wants to learn how to do? Some very common kind of silly things that I I see often done are painting, building buildings. These, These things can all be done locally. And like, I've been guilty of this. I've gone on trips where we did these kind of things. But these things can all be done by hiring local labor. And training locals how to do something in a new way is way more beneficial than going and doing it yourself. But just doing it for them is almost always not 
the right answer. And my final point, short-term trips are very, very tricky. I really encourage if you're planning on going on a short-term trip, to have a long-term purpose, to be open to the fact that you might be able to be involved in this this project long-term or be able to learn something or to be able to engage. I think it's really, really crucial to tread lightly and remain humble, be a helper, defer to local leaders, and do not get involved with an organization that expects immediate results from a two-month project, a three-month project. Stay away from these kind of organizations. Get involved with with people that are doing real good long-term work, even if you're probably not going to get much glory out of it. And it might be a bit painful and you might just basically be learning a bunch of stuff for several months at a time. I'll leave you with a few resources. One of the best books on long-term sustainable help is called When Helping Hurts. The authors write from a Christian perspective, and they harshly call out the mess of short-term projects brought on by well-meaning church congregations. And this is a relief to me that this has actually become a very popular book, and I think the message is very powerful. So basically, a lot of the things that I've talked about are also mentioned in this book about dethroning yourself from the white savior complex deferring to locals, realizing that there are educated, bright, insightful people all across the developing world that actually don't necessarily need your charity, but they might need your help if you're willing to listen. And I really appreciated the message of this book. There's a lot in this book about stepping back and letting the local communities be the ones that decide what kind of help they want. I felt that this book has created a movement. And even for people who are not people of, of any faith background, I think that this is a great kind of concept to consider and might be even a great book to read. But especially if you are a person of faith, again, it's called When Helping Hurts. Another article that I'll mention is from National Geographic, and it's all about the, the myths of volunteerism. And it talks about the good and the bad. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So with that, I want to end on an encouraging note that there is a wave of reform in volunteerism and reining in short-term projects, encouraging people to be involved in more long-term, sustainable kind of work. There are reformers within some of the groups of the largest offenders of these kind of projects who are willing to stand up to the way that things have been done and the ways that actually cater more to white privilege than they cater to actually helping local people in the developing countries. I'm very glad to see leaders from the developing world standing up and proclaiming that each life has dignity and that we know best how to help our own people. And I think the rest of the world needs to listen to that and be humble enough to receive that word and receive that leadership. So if you know of other resources out there, let us know and we will post about it. I would love to hear your thoughts and your comments. I know I'm probably going to get some hate mail on this one and that's all right. But before you leave that nasty comment on Instagram, before you leave a terrible review on iTunes personally attacking me, remember that there are humans on the other end of this microphone.
with lives and with feelings and life experiences that you probably don't know about. And uh, I do encourage you to listen to the other episodes and learn more about Invisible India and what we're doing and the vision that we have for this podcast to help people to learn about India, to help people engage cross-culturally, and to provide an alternate perspective.